0: Okie dokie. We can go whenever y'all are ready. If, oh, I'm if ready. If anybody wants to. Okay. And look at that. Jake made it happen. <laughs> hey everyone, I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where
1: we make today make sense. And I'm Samantha Fields, in for Kai Rizdahl. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday, October 19th.
0: Yes, and because it's Thursday, we are going to listen back to some of the big stories from the week with little audio clips. And we've got a couple of them already lined up. Let's start with the first.
1: We are attentive to recent data showing the resilience of economic growth and demand for labor. Additional evidence of persistently above trend growth or that tightness in the labor market is no longer easing could put further progress on inflation at risk and could warrant further tightening of policy.
0: Feel the emphasis on that could, could, very important there from Jerome Powell, um, giving a speech earlier today at the Economic Club of New York. um, And he was saying that, you know, we've got strong economic data that could warrant higher rates. Now, most people who watch this stuff carefully walked away from that that speech and said that, you know, the Fed is unlikely to raise interest rates this next meeting, but they could potentially raise rates in the next meeting. Now, obviously, they can do whatever they want. But of course, as always, they were saying, Jerome Powell was saying that it's all going to be data dependent because despite everything, despite higher interest rates and despite you know the world falling apart as it usually does you know consumers are still being consumers spending money Um, companies are still some in many sectors struggling to hire and fill open positions and so even though they have uh, been tightening and trying to slow down the economy at the federal reserve you know that it's not necessarily showing up in the results as much as they seem to want it to
1: But they like to hedge, right, or he likes to hedge because it also all lags a little bit. It takes time, as we all know, to sort of really see the rate increases trickle down through the economy into different places. And he was also saying, you know, a lot is more expensive now, borrowing to buy a home, borrowing to buy a car. And so maybe we just still haven't seen some of it yet.
0: Yeah, and I'll be very interested in the academic research that comes out later about this time period In terms of how long it's taking to show up. Because the Fed and and many other economists definitely expected to see the effects of these interest rate hikes much earlier. And the American consumer, I I mean, I guess we're just like blissfully, you know, ignoring the warning signs. We just want to like spend our lives uh, paying down debt or just continuing to shop since the world's falling apart. Anyway, I don't know. I'll be very interested to see how this gets unpacked by... Smarter people than me down the road. Uh, worth noting that that speech ended up interrupted, uh, was interrupted by climate protesters who had a big sign and were ch- chanting off fossil finance. So, you know, that. And they too. were up there for a little while before they got pulled down. Yeah, they were. I mean, they made their point. We saw it. They definitely Everybody saw did. it. <laughs> and now we're talking about it. Indeed. That was the point. Okay.
1: Okay, so this next clip we have for you today is from an interview I did earlier this week with Joe DeCarlis, who is the administrator of the Energy Information Administration. The biggest variable is the winter temperature. If we have a much colder winter, that can drive expenditures significantly higher. So he's talking there about a new analysis that EIA just put out, forecasting that most people around the country will likely see lower heating bills this winter than they did last year, which is a little bit of good news. And now, as with any forecast, there's always room for error or for things to change. But EIA is making that determination by looking at two things: they're looking at energy prices, which are generally lower right now than last year, and at the winter forecast, which is looking warmer than normal for a lot of the country. So, especially for people who use natural gas to heat their home or who live in the western part of the country sort of regardless of how they heat their home they'll likely have to spend less on heat this year eia is saying um, but a lot, obviously, as Joe was saying in that cut right there, depends on how cold it actually gets, which we never know for sure. And you know, for some of us, like those of us in the Northeast, like me, uh, we're looking actually at the prospect of a colder, wetter winter than last year. So our bills here could be higher. And a lot of people in New England actually, in particular, use heating oil, which is more expensive and more volatile price-wise than natural gas. Um, so maybe not quite as good news for everyone, but you know, overall, always good to see a forecast that says people's
0: bills might be lower than they used to be because we don't hear much of that these days. I oh, no, know. I'm over here trying to see what the woolly worms say is going to happen.
1: <laughs> Did you find their forecast yet?
0: Uh, the old farmer's almanac is saying... <laughs> because we know this is what we really <laughs> need to be looking at, uh, that it's going to be a, um, a winter wonderland. Snow, seasonable, cold, all of winter's delights. Snow will be above normal across most snow-prone pl- areas. Uh, we'll see normal to colder than normal temperatures in areas typically receive snow and but I, I gotta see what the woolly worm says That that's that's of course how we really know what's gonna happen in the winter and for people who aren't you know as folksy <laughs> there's a caterpillar <laughs> that is uh, rumored that based is that on the brown
1: and black caterpillar the fuzzy one yes
0: and it's, it's fuzzy looking and I'm, I'm just okay. looking the woolly worm legend first of all the woolly worm is not a worm at all this is from Farmer's Almanac specifically it's the larva of the Isabella tiger moth and it's but the name has stuck and the folklore is the wider the rusty brown sections of a woolly bear caterpillar the more brown segments there they are the milder the coming winter will be and the more black there is the more severe the winter and uh, i was seeing on a the reason this came to mind is because on tiktok earlier somebody was saying the woolly worms are all black it's going to be a terrible winter uh sorry <laughs> i wonder <laughs> where that so person there. lives because i wonder also Oh,
1: yeah. well, maybe uh, maybe it is
0: i don't know Yeah, we never know. All right. Well, I guess we'll find out in a couple of months. Uh, Let's see. What do we have next up? Right. Okay. This is super interesting. It's from Janet
1: Yellen. America can certainly afford to stand with Israel and to support Israel's military needs. And we also can and must support Ukraine in its struggle against Russia. And look... The American economy is doing extremely well. Um, Inflation has been high, and it's been a concern to households. It's come down considerably. At the same time, we have about the strongest labor market we've seen in 50 years with 3.8% unemployment.
0: Right. So this was uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen speaking to Sky News. Saying that, you know, a lot of people have been bringing up whether or not the United States can afford to keep funding the wars in Israel as well as the war in Ukraine. And she says, yes, yes, we can. And, um, you know, this reminds me, I, I got a note earlier this week from USA Facts, they Crunch some numbers on military aid to Israel, and I'm just going to read a couple of lines here. The United States committed over 3.3 billion dollars in foreign assistance to Israel in 2022, the most recent year for which data exists. About 8.8 million of that went towards the country's economy, while 99.7 percent of the aid went to the Israeli military. Israel received the second largest amount of U.S. aid in 2022 after Ukraine where the U.S. committed $12.4 billion. The two countries received 4.8% and 18.1%, respectively, of all foreign aid granted that year. And then since World War II, they actually calculated how much aid the United States has given to Israel since World War II, $317.9 billion. And so I think what this kind of reflects is, you know, Janet Yellen is pointing out that we already are giving a lot of military aid to Israel to the tune of billions of dollars. And so I I think it's kind of baked in. And so the Ukraine funding, you know, has been some of it has already been allocated and promised. Obviously, a lot of it is on hold. But, you know, she's saying that uh, that we can afford it. But I think what we're seeing on Capitol Hill here, especially with the drama around the speakership, there are lots of folks. Um, Here in Washington, who are like, we can't afford either of these conflicts, much less both of them. And it's so weird to be speaking about these things that are, you know, such human, violent moments in such stark economic terms. But this is
1: another sort of important piece. It is how the economy and how how governments work. But, you know, Mm. another important piece of this, you were referencing what's happening with the speakership. I mean, in order to mm-hmm. actually get more money to Israel and Ukraine, the House has to pass legislation. And it can't currently mm. do that because it doesn't have a speaker nope. and it hasn't for more than two weeks. Um, and, you know, I was just reading that the president is expected to ask for about $10 billion in mostly military assistance for Israel and around $60 billion more for Ukraine from Congress coming up. And I don't know, it'll be interesting to see whether Congress actually addresses that request.
0: You know, there are so many things that are not getting done while all of this is happening. And, you know, I was just meeting with some folks earlier this week talking about how, you know, the farm bill (laughs) is about to expire. And they were supposed to have been working on that for ages. And we have... Almost nothing. I mean, a lot of it's being drafted just behind closed doors. But, you know, we should have seen something by, on this by now and much less, you know, have something even moderately close to being able to be passed. But of the many things. All right, yeah, what so else do we have?
1: Uh, here's another good one. We have started doing robocalls with my voice in many different languages. People stop me on the street all the time, and they say, I didn't know you speak Mandarin, you know? Uh, the robocalls that we're using, we're using uh, different languages to speak directly to the diversity of New Yorkers. So that's New York Mayor Eric Adams. And he was talking at a press conference earlier this week. And as he was explaining, his office has started using robocalls in his voice in a bunch of different languages that he doesn't speak, including Spanish, Yiddish and Mandarin. And the way that they're doing this is with generative AI. And so these robocalls are going out to city residents, promoting things like hiring events and concerts. um, And they're pretty they're pretty interesting and weird to listen to. We actually have a bit of one to play for you in Spanish. Um, and thanks to a nonprofit newsroom here in New York called The City for posting it on YouTube. Hola, soy el alcalde Eric Adams. Queremos invitarlo a venir a trabajar con la ciudad de Nueva York y ayudar a hacer que esta gran ciudad sea aún mejor. And so that's that. For those of you who don't live in New York and don't hear the mayor that much, it it sounds. A lot like him like it, it's a pretty good likeness of his voice but it also sounds a little weird and robotic right
0: i mean that that sounds like you know the spanish i was barely able to speak when i was in college but i mean <laughs> right. i don't know how i would love to hear from somebody who actually speaks spanish fluently uh how how smooth it sounds, sounds, how relatable. Now, I can really imagine this kind of stuff being useful. I mean, I see that they were saying it's used for hiring and and promoting uh, concerts, but in an emergency, having that tool available for, like, when the really bad rain was happening, uh, to send emergency alerts out in multiple languages, you know, can potentially save lives. And I think that that service is... Potentially really good, um, you know, assuming that they get the translations right. But I feel like a couple of years ago, we saw artists doing this with music, translating their songs into different languages and having their voices do it in um, using AI. But I'll have to dig that back up.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. The mayor's saying kind of, you know, what you were saying to some degree. We have a diverse city. We have a lot of people here who don't speak English at all. And we're trying new ways of reaching them and speaking to them in their languages. And there's value in that. And, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I think the part that feels weird is that it's in his voice and they're not saying, hey, this is AI or they're not saying anywhere that this is not actually him speaking and that he does not speak this language. and. I don't know. There's kind of I mean, as with a lot of things around generative AI, there's a lot of ethical questions here and a lot of stuff that we just sort of, I think, have to talk through and work through and figure out. And, you know, it's all so new and evolving so fast. And there's very little regulation so far. So there's a lot of a lot of things. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Exactly. So not very little. There's none. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I don't know. It just it feels a little strange, but also kind of interesting.
0: I was listening to a story on uh, our our wonderful public radio colleagues on NPR this morning about a a New Yorker cartoon artist who wrote a book where she used AI to kind of capture her grandfather's personality, who she never met, Um, but they couldn't do his voice because they didn't have any recordings of his voice, but there are already companies taking the voices of people's loved ones um, who have passed away to, you know, allow the AI to generate kind of conversations that, you know, a grandparent, you know, it will allow a grandkid to talk to a grandparent they never met or something like that and hear Wild. their stories. And this was 100% in, in an episode of Black Mirror. Um, but, yeah. you know, I, I'm i kind of torn. I mean, I, I have... A, Me too family member who um, died when when her child was very, very small. Like, it might be kind of cool for her to be able to hear her mom read her a story in her voice that she never got to hear, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. I think we're going to all be answering these questions. We're going to be living it for, for a while and having to sort of feel our way through. And what sometimes really strikes me is that Five years from now, this will all feel very normal. You know, yeah. Right Right now, it feels which is hard to imagine. Yeah, Yeah. right now it's like, oh gosh, what are we gonna do? How is our society going to adjust? And in five years, we'll be like, oh yeah, you know, this is norm.
1: No. And it seems cool if you think about like, oh, if I could sort of translate my voice to speak in another language and sort of if it can do it quickly enough, which it seems like with certain technology, it can or soon will be able to. I don't know. It could be a way to have a conversation with people whose languages you don't speak. You know, Um, I don't know. there's, There's a lot of potential there for really cool things. But there's also, as you know, with deep fakes and with misinformation and disinformation spreading the way it is now, even sort of without generative AI, there's a lot of Things to be concerned about too,
0: and this is going to open whole new worlds up for Ninety Day Fiance. Uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> that is it. And on for that today. note, <laughs> yes, on that note, uh, I that's it for today. I'm going to be back tomorrow with Rima Crace for Economics on Tap. We're going to do the YouTube live stream starting at six thirty Eastern, three thirty Pacific. So you can join us for more news, for some drinks, and a game. We'll have lots of fun.
1: And we love hearing from you. So if you have a story you'd like to share with us, a comment, a question, a suggestion, our email is makemesmart at marketplace.org. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 508 smart.
0: Today's episode of Make Me Smart was produced by Courtney Seeker with assistance from H. Conley, audio engineering by Jake Cherry, Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter, and our intern is Far Shabandi. Marissa Cabrera is our senior
1: producer, Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts, and Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital.